Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. So who are you? Uh, I'm Bart. I'm Sam. Welcome to our podcast. Yep. This is date night at the coffee shop. Um, We're glad you guys have decided to join us again. Um, For those of you new to our podcast, what we do every episode, we try a new coffee at the beginning of each episode, um, give you our thoughts. Sometimes we give a rating. Um, And then we talk about any random topic that we decide we are interested in. So that's basically what we do. Yeah. So how was your week? It was good. It was, it was very good. Interesting. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's been one of the best weeks I've had in a while. Same. I am absolutely loving the fact that it's fall. The temperature is fantastic outside. Yes. The the weather is great. Um, I love this, um, this like cooling down period. It's fall has always been like one of my favorite times of the year. So it's very exciting. See, I've always had a hard time like picking a favorite season because it's like, they all have such good qualities. Like in the summer you can go swimming and I absolutely love swimming. In the winter you get to like, just be cozy, you know? Yeah. And then in the spring, the spring is probably Truth be told, probably my least favorite season just because I have really horrible spring allergies. Right. <laughs> but I do like the spring because it's like, because it's done being cold. You know what I mean? And then it's like, yeah. oh, looking forward. So like, I like, there are things that I like about all the seasons, but I do have to admit that like fall is probably my favorite season. Because I feel like you can do more. Like in the summer, sometimes it's so hot you just can't do like if you can't swim then you can't oh i just excuse me i just hiccuped um if you can't swim then like there's nothing really else that you can do in the summer right (laughs) so i mean there are a lot of cool things you can do in the summer but i've always just loved the fall um i love halloween Mm -hmm. i love like the leaves the weather it's just always been really great oh i remember like kate's cove also it's like one of your first like not so hot anymore yeah so that's great for me yeah and i'm thinking too like kate's cove i think the last time we went to gatlinburg we went in the fall yeah it was it was like early november i think yeah so i mean it wasn't quite fallish like i mean it, it, was, it was still yeah it was still fall um the leaves were still like all changing and yeah it, it was really nice it was so but it, it was awesome. pretty cold yeah, I really liked it. Um, it's like Kate's Cove was gorgeous that time of year, and so I yeah. like because it, like it's we'll um, we'll get to it, but I really like um, leaf peeping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like the the changing of the leaves and all that stuff. Yeah, we'll have to go do that sometime. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our drink for this episode. I'm um, excited. So again, usually we we like I said we try a new coffee, hence the name Date Night at the Coffee Shop. Mm-hmm. Um we're going to have to temporarily change our name for this episode, I suppose. Yeah. Um to Date Night at the Winery because today we are trying some wine rather than coffee to go with our topic. Exactly. Our topic also <laughs> being wine, wine making and the history and so forth and whatnot. Um, so today we're, we're trying a wine to go along with our topic. Um, the wine we have today is called Apothic Dark. Uh, it's a red blend. Um, you should be able to find this almost anywhere, I think. 
Um, Apothic also has another more common one, the Apothic Red. So, yeah. if for those of you that want that like to drink along with our episode, um, you know, we'll be revealing uh, before. Yeah, I, I, we will have already by the time this comes out, we'll have released the the wine out on the Instagram page and things like that. So you guys go pick up a bottle and, and drink along. Uh, just just join with us. Um, so again, this is Apothic Dark. Uh, I'm super excited about this one. It looks really cool. Uh, and it also kind of ties back into our main purpose of our podcast. Um, because this one, let's see, the description, there's a romance in darkness. It draws out curiosity and beckons a desire to taste the unknown. Apothic Dark blends dark fruit flavors of blueberry and blackberry with opulent notes of coffee and dark chocolate for a rich yet silky smooth wine experience. Sounds fantastic. Um, so I thought, you know, when it has the notes of coffee as well, that's just even more perfect for what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and open this up. Ooh. Yeah. Good one. That was a good one. First thing I noticed, this um, the cork looks awesome. It's just it's, black. Yeah, it's just like solid, well, not solid black, but yeah, the cork is black. It's plastic, right? With like, uh, I, yeah, I think it's like some kind of composite. It's not like a natural cork, but. Um, oh, that smells good. Yeah, it does. The cork yeah, smells very nice. The cork looks awesome. Um, I'm going to go ahead, and I've, I've never had the Apothic Dark. I have tried the Apothic Red, and yeah, it's really good. I have tried that one. That one is um, fantastic. But this dark intrigued me, and the label looks awesome. It also kind of looks like, like Halloween-esque, <laughs> you know? It's like spooky. Yeah, since we're getting into it's fall. Like dark, like a black flat black label with like this gothic looking writing it looks awesome yeah uh, so i'm gonna go ahead and pour some out go for it so while we're while you're sipping um what's what's your favorite wine my favorite wine yeah Ooh. um i know it's kind of a hard question whoops nearly spilled it sorry about that yeah that is i mean ooh. <laughs> probably cabernet sauvignon yeah. Yeah. If I had to just pick, like, if I would have picked, I would have thought peg, pegged you for more of a Merlot person. It depends on the Merlot. Yeah. But true. 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 As true. a general rule of thumb, I think I'm more of a fan of more different Cabernet Sauvignons. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I'm just picking one off the shelf that I don't know anything about, I'm probably going to enjoy a Cab more. Okay, that makes sense. I get that. Okay, and we're back. Sorry, we had a uh, small dog emergency. Yeah. Um, At least one per episode, right? Right. Yeah. But it's becoming a a a a regular occurrence. Yeah. Um, I would have to say that I really enjoy whites. Yeah. Yeah. Any particular white or? So, I really like Chenin Blanc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, Voignier. Those yeah. are probably my two favorite Those are whites. good. I'm yeah. not usually as big a fan of whites. Um, I cannot stand Chardonnay. Yeah? I cannot stand it. Like, everyone's I, like, oh, a nice buttery Chardonnay. And I'm just like, that. it's worse. I hate it. I cannot stand Chardonnay. Yeah, I'm not really a fan either. Can't stand it. And, like, they have some sparkling wines that are Chardonnay. And I just can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and let's, let's try this. Uh, again, this is Apothic Dark. It's very fruity. 
Yeah. I can smell, yeah, it's, I can smell a lot of those, like, dark fruits and... Oh, wow. Like, admissions. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. What's the, what's the assessment? Ooh. <laughs> the assessment That's is really good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's got, like, really bold, dark fruit flavors, um... And it's a blend. Yeah, it is a blend. Uh, meaning, so it doesn't have like just one type of grape. It's, right. We'll get we'll get to yeah, it. Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll to get all to that. It. <laughs> um, are we going to get into the year? Yeah. How the what the year means? Yep. Okay, because I I kind of oh, always get me. it confused. Do you know who you're talking to? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this one's really good. It's got like I can really taste those dark fruits. Um, some hints of coffee. I bet that would be good with goat yeah. cheese and chocolate. Oh, yeah. This would be really good with chocolate. Yeah. It'd be a really great, like, dessert wine. So, fun fact, you guys. If you guys are into dark reds and, you know, bold reds, then you should get a piece of chocolate, milk or dark, your preference, and then smush some goat cheese on there and eat that and drink your wine. Mm-hmm. It's super good. Yeah. If you like those three things, you will love them together. It yeah. sounds disgusting. But it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it makes a, a great wine pairing. It really does. I'm um, all about the pairings. Which kind of gives a little bit of background about our interest in wine. Like, we've actually been <clears throat> some pretty big wine enthusiasts for the yeah. last several years. Um, for sure. You used to do used wine to... tastings and sell wine mm-hmm. uh, from home. Yep. Um, so, you know, a big interest of ours uh and it's our wine rack is full yeah we do have a lot of wine we i think a, we only have two spots left yeah so we probably got about red. 40 bottles of wine right now <laughs> and that is not an exaggeration no yeah no 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 not at all not an exaggeration in the least it's probably more than 40 yeah yeah well there's one in the fridge so yeah probably <laughs> i don't i don't think i've actually counted up our wine rack to see how much it holds i don't know it's over 30 though yeah I, I know it's for sure over 30 yeah uh, but yeah, that kind of gives you some insight. Um, but yeah, and some of them have been there since before we moved into this house, though. Like yeah, we've are... we've had we've held on to some of these for a while. We've kind of been saving some, yeah, um, because they just were really good. I know. When I sh- whenever we find a wine, we like we really need to just buy two. Yeah. Go back and buy two so that we can save it. I don't know. I just. I don't like, because, like, we have done that in the past where we buy two, and then we have one left, and it's like, oh, gosh, I don't want to drink. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so good. Probably won't be able to find it again. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so let's go ahead. Again, our topic today is wine, since we've already been talking about it, but let's um, let's let's talk about it. What, what What is there to know about wine? Okay. Ooh, do you want to rate the wine? Yeah, okay. Um, like you do. do so I don't really have much to compare it to for our show. Mm. <laughs> Every time you take a sip, it is super good. Yeah, and I did like the apothic red when we tried it on vacation. So yeah, the red, yeah, the red is really good mm-hmm. too. But this dark is fantastic. Cool. Um, I would give it a a nine. Oh dang! Nine and a half. Hey. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that's I almost pretty awesome. Never give tens on anything, so that's kind of a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, this is it's really good. That's- this is one of the best reds I've ever had. Oh, that's awesome. Even including the um, the Rosa Obscura that we've tried. Yeah. Mm. All right, then. That's awesome. 
Okay, so... Also, just want to go ahead and throw out there, this might be a, a more regular occurrence, too. Like, we might have to do some wine on some other episodes. Okay. Okay. Give To, to give a reference on our, our, our ratings. Yeah. We'll, we'll do a spinoff podcast. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. All right. So, first, we're going to dive into the history. And for the history, we're going to break it down into the different quote-unquote, worlds of wine, um, like the ancient world, old world, and new world wines. Okay. So. Please pardon our dogs. Yeah. Um, One day we'll get uh, an actual podcast loft. But in the meantime. Okay, we're back again. Our neighbors, we live in a very dog-heavy neighborhood. So our neighbors walk their dogs all the time, and our dogs take umbrage with that. Yeah, they do not like it. <laughs> so, anyways, like I said, um, we're going to work on the ancient world, old world, and new world wines. That's kind of how we're going to break up the history. Okay. Okay, so the ancient world refers to where wine originated and, like, the cradle of wine civilization. Okay. Okay. So, from 7,000 to 6,600 BC, the ancient tribes from Jihu in the river, wait, in the Yellow River Valley of China or the Hainan province, made a fermented rice, honey, and fruit wine and stored it in earthenware jars. So that's super early mm-hmm. for wine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. 7,000 B.C. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. In 4,000 B.C. in Israel, Georgia, Armenia, and Iran, winemaking facilities have been discovered with large earthenware vessels submerged in the ground. Today, Georgia still practices winemaking in earthenware vessels called Kaviri. The earliest known winery from 4100 BC is the Arini 1 winery in Armenia and it's um yeah, it's it's the oldest known winery, like earliest known winery ever right, that, that we've found. Today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. It's I've seen a picture of it. It's in a cave and it's like along a river. Mm-hmm. So it's and it's really pretty. It's really like gorgeous like mountainside. But that's the oldest one known to man, 4100 BC. Um, Let's see. 1600 to 1100 BC, ancient practices from the areas of the New Kingdom of Egypt, Assyria, and Mesopotamia indicate wine may have been transported in amphora or goat skins. Right, yeah. So wine skins, that was a big, Mm -hmm. big thing back in the ancient times. Absolutely. So, in 1400 BC, amphora is the primary method used to ship wine in Canaanite and Mycenaean cultures. What What is amphora? Amphora are those clay jars that you see, and they're stored oh. on their side. They have, like, a pointed bottom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and a flat okay. top, you know? Yeah. Um, they're basically what you see depicted in most Greek, um, like, most Greek jars. Yeah. Or is kind of like what you what you can see or what you think of when you think of a Greek jar. That's usually an amphora. Okay. It's it, like a huge... Mm-hmm, it's very, very large. Yeah. In 900 BC, during the Iron Age in Northern Europe, barrels are the preferred container to store, store and ship wine. Today, barrels are still used to flavor and season wine and intentionally oxidize it. Right. So this is what gives most wines their distinct flavors. Mm-hmm. In, from 900 to 100 BC, clay amphora or amphorae are used to store and transport wine in ancient Greece and Rome, like we talked about. So, the spread of wine culture westwards 
was most likely due to the Phoenicians who spread outward from the base city-states along the Mediterranean coast of what is um, today Lebanon, Israel, Syria, and Palestine. The wines of uh, Blybos were exported to Egypt during the Old Kingdom and then throughout the Mediterranean. Evidence for this includes two Phoenician shipwrecks from uh, 750 BC discovered by Robert Ballard, whose cargo of wine was still intact. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, I heard about this. So they found a shipwreck. So it was it was sank. Uh huh. And they found these amphorae. casks, or, or mm-hmm. yeah, the amphorae, um, and they were still full of wine, and it was still. Yeah, I think so. So it looks like that the Phoenicians protected their wine from oxidization. Oxidation. Thank you. Oxidation. With a layer of olive oil followed by a seal of pine wood resin. So like if it's sealed, like there's no way that the water is going to get in there. Right. It's not like it's just a lid on it, you know. Well, to that, um, so it doesn't oxidize completely. Like over that long a time, it would have turned to vinegar Mm -hmm. probably. Absolutely. For sure. So, so it was actually, because of their preservation method, it, it was still perfectly fine. I think it's so, that's so cool. In 40 BC, Cleopatra's, Cleopatra's favorite wine is the ancient Greek wine, Muscat of Alexandria. Muscat of Alexandria is actually still made today. Okay, so Muscat, is that like Muscadine? No, it's um, from the Muscat grape. It's, that's a, oh. it's a grape. It's what Moscato is made from. Oh, okay. Yeah, Moscato's made from the Muscat. Great. Oh, okay, so kind of basic. Yeah. Cleopatra. She was she was, was basic. It? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so now we're going to move into the old world. The definition of old world wine comes down to basically the areas where modern winemaking traditions first originated. <clears throat> when it comes to the old world, the operative word is like influence. Uh, these are the places that exported wines, grapes, and winemakers and traditions into other countries. Right. So this is like where everything started and then they like almost like a school or something. Mm-hmm. Like they, they sought to like branch out and For sure. kind of share their process with the world. Yeah. So in the year 1000, Chateau de Goulain is built and it's possibly the oldest operating winery. So it's still in operation today. During the 15th and 16th centuries, wines that may have been sealed and stored in stoneware jugs re-fermented, causing them to have spritz. These creamy or cremant-style wines led to the French creation of sparkling wine and British cider. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was weird, like that it just, that it re-fermented and it it like made a bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how they make certain types like they just the fermentation process like mm-hmm. creates the gases and pressurizes yeah. and all that yeah we'll get into like sparkling a little bit and about yeah. like yeah um in 1530 vines are imported by the portuguese and spanish to mexico and brazil in the late 1500s wine was preserved for long shipping journeys like with the dutch east india company by adding alcohol You'll know what this is. A process called fortification. Fortification right. created the famous wines of Port, Madria, Marsala, Madeira. and Sherry. Madeira. Yeah. Madeira, Marsala, and Sherry. Yeah. So that's when they actually add extra alcohol to the wine. 
yes. for both flavor and preservation purposes. Mm -hmm. Port is probably, so I really like those two whites, the Chenin Blanc and the Voigne, mm -hmm. but Port is probably my favorite red of all port time. Port is really good, yeah. I love port. This is very similar to port, honestly, this, this apothecary. Really? Yeah. Nice. It's a little bit more fruity. It's not quite as sweet yeah. as port, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's very bold. That's so good. Because I, I do I do love port. Okay, so in 1600, the most highly desired wines of the day are sweet white wines, such as uh, Sauternes of Bordeaux, Riesling of Germany, and Tokaji from Hungary. That sounds like Japanese more than Yeah, Hungarian. it does. It does. Um, in the 1600s, glass wine bottles were also first popularized in Portugal in an attempt to age port wines inspired by records of amphorae. Huh. Unfortunately, bottles stood upright and the corks would dry out and lose their seal. Right. So, fun fact, store your wine on its side. Right. So, that's why wine racks are shaped the way they are, to keep the wine on its side and keeps the, the cork moist mm -hmm. um, and intact. Absolutely. So, if you just keep it standing upright, that's not good for the cork. It'll dry out, get brittle, and then it'll kind of crumble when you try to open it. Absolutely. And then it gets all in the wine. And your wine will oxidize before you have a chance to drink it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it that is contrary to what a lot of people will say that uh, when a wine, I, I've heard before that when a wine's cork is brittle like that, <laughs> yeah. that, that means that it's a good wine or something like that. No, it means it's dry. Right. That is old. absolutely not the case. It's mm -hmm. just dried out because it wasn't stored properly. properly. Yep. In about 1650, uh, somewhere in Bordeaux, Cabernet Franc and Savion Blanc naturally cross to create Cabernet Savion. Oh, perfect. Isn't that sweet? How cool. They just naturally meld together. Right. So They knew exactly what I wanted. Yep. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so now we're Wait, moving. So Savion Blanc is a white. Mm -hmm. Cabernet Franc is uh, the red. Uh-huh. Like half of it. So Cabernet Savion is almost kind of like, kind of like a... A rosé. A, a rosé. Because <laughs> it's just like a mix there. Uh, but well, I, I want to try it some... It created a new grape. So technically this would be like a rosé grape. Since it, That's true. Yeah. But I, they're not rosé because they're still like dark red. Yeah. So I guess it just kind of took over yeah. just some of the, the taste qualities. But I, I, I do want to try Cabernet Franc. I don't think I've ever had one of those. You've probably had... I'm pretty sure that some of those that we have in there have a blend. Of yeah, some of the blends probably yeah. that I've had probably had them in there. But I want to try like a... A actual a Cabernet Franc. Yeah. To see if I would like that even better, if that's where the cab comes from. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so New World. New World refers to those countries and winemakers that borrowed traditions from other countries to jumpstart their own. So I would imagine this is probably what would, like, like what California would be considered. For sure. Like the Napa Valley. Mm -hmm. like they kind of borrowed a lot of this from, like, France and other yep. places. Yep. So more often than not, this happened alongside colonization. So that makes perfect sense too. Mm -hmm. um, and like the the article I got this from said, after all, it was a hard world and it would make one thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1659, grapevines are first introduced to South Africa. I do gotta say, Chenin Blanc, I'm pretty sure is from South Africa. At least the Chenin Blanc that I've had that I really enjoy. And it's so good. Um, anyways, so that leads to the creation of uh, great sweet wine, Vin de Con uh, Constance. So, like, huh. that's the first wine 
grape that comes out of South Africa. Right. In 1718, the Abbey in Champagne publishes a set of winemaking rules said to be established by Dom Perignon for quality winemaking. It warned against using white grapes, Chardonnay, um, to keep wines from becoming sparkling from re-fermentation, considered a wine fault. However, today, today, Chardonnay is a desirable grape for sparkling winemaking in Champagne. So, and, and Dom Perignon being one of like the most famous champagnes there is, Absolutely. and supposedly like one of the most expensive or whatever, but yeah. so even like Dom Perignon himself was like, oh no, no, no you don't should do not, that. You should not do this. <laughs> yeah. This is not good winemaking. Yeah. And yet that's what his that's namesake what, brand that's, does. <laughs> yep. There you go. Chardonnay is what's mostly used for, for sparkling in right. champagne. Yep. In 1737, the first demarcated wine region of the world is Tokaj in the foothills of um, Zemplin Mountains of Hungary. So basically, it's like an, an isolated, hey, this is wine country kind of thing. Right. Um, it was demarcated to protect the sweet white wine making of Tokaji Asuzi, Asuzu. Asuzu. Um, Asuzu. Asuzu. Which had been made for nearly a thousand years. So, like, they protected this land to be like, hey, no, this is a special grape that comes from here. We're going to keep making this wine. Yeah. <clears throat> I love it whenever we're just like, let's protect this because we like it. I'm glad we can do that with wine. Oh, my eyes are itching. That's another thing about fall. I'm developing fall allergies, but that's okay. Hashtag worth it. <laughs> Anyways, okay, in 1740, bottles were redesigned to be laid on their side, creating the ability to age wines long term. So that's pretty, that's a pretty long gap. Because like the glass bottles that they were using for port were probably built like the Amphora with mm. like the pointed bottoms. Yeah. You know? Oh no, they probably had a, I don't no, know. No, yeah, they would have been flat on the bottom because I think they stored them upright. Yeah, yeah. Well, then it makes more sense if it's, um, I don't know why. I, wa I want to look and see what the original wine bottles were then. Yeah. Because, like, you'd think that if you, they're redesigned to lay on their sides, they would still have pointed bottoms. Right? I don't know. Some winemaker I mean, out there, make, make a wine bottle with a pointed bottom. I would totally buy that. Just for the bottle. <laughs> Okay, so in the mid-1800s, sparkling wines are popular, popularized in Champagne, uh, partially due to consistency in wine bottle manufacturing. In 1857, the first commercial winery operation in California is in Sonoma, called Buena, Buena Vista Winery. Hmm. Okay, so I'm going to pause for a second and say we are going to skip over the early 1900s and Prohibition. It was a dark time in wine history. We don't have to talk about it. That's for the best. Yeah. Okay. All right. In 1978, Robert Parker first introduces the Wine Advocate, the consumer newsletter that uses a novel 100-point wine rating system. Ooh. Yeah. In 2000, France is the world's largest producer of wine in the world, and Italy is second. In 2010, Cabernet Sauvignon is the world's most planted wine grape. Really? You will never run out of Cab. Ever. That's, that's good to know. Good to know. <laughs> so that's kind of like the history. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Definitely some cool stuff there. All right. Are you ready for me to get all nerdy and tell you how it's made? Yeah. Let's talk about that. I've, maybe we can make our own. Let's do Teach it. Teach me how to do that. Yes. Wine grapes are different <clears throat> from table grapes. They're smaller, sweeter, and have lots more seeds. Mm -hmm. 
so you can't just use table grapes to make wine. I mean, I'm sure you could, but probably, it probably wouldn't be very good. Right. A single varietal wine is made primarily from one type of grape. It's common to see these wines labeled by the name of that grape variety. For example, a bottle of Riesling is made with Riesling grapes. Right. It's useful to note that each country has different rules for how much of the variety should be included to be labeled as a varietal wine. So in the U.S., Chile, South Africa, Australia, and Greece, 75% of that wine needs to have that grape in it to be called a Chenin Blanc or whatever, you know. Right. So if you, if you call it a specific thing like a Cabernet Sauvignon mm-hmm. or anything like that, like it has to have at least 75% of that type of grape is what makes it up. Yeah, except um, for in Oregon. Oregon requires 90% of the varietal. Okay. Oregon has high but, standards. Right, <laughs> but also, so so that's called a varietal, mm-hmm. but it's still being able to be named as whatever the grape type is for the, the most of it. But single varietal, that's different, right? That's where it's just really only one type of grape. No, that, that's what this is things? right here. Yeah, that's what this is saying. That a single varietal, like in the U.S., has to have 75% of that. Okay. So is there another name for a wine that only uses, like, only uses the one type of grape? I don't know. Is that I don't, a thing? I don't think so. Okay. Because I, well, I think, I, it just depends on, like, the wine and, like, the, the grape, how the harvest is. Mm-hmm. Because they may not have enough of that one wine and so they may substitute with the like the 25 percent with another that's right. not going to like alter the flavor right yeah i get that i just didn't know if there was like a separate classification where it's 100 percent. yeah yeah no okay Mm-mm. no um in argentina it's 80 percent in italy france germany austria portugal spain and new zealand it's 85 percent oh so, so that's why like imported wines are more expensive and they taste better right for me, at least I think they taste a little bit better because right. that you get a little bit more, like you get more nuance, you get different different flavors. Yeah, you actually get more of what their what they are intended flavor profiles. Uh huh. Um, and then a wine blend is obviously um, it's a wine made with a blend of several grape varietals. Blending is a traditional winemaking method, and today there are several famous wine blends produced in classic winemaking regions. Um, wine blends are mixed after the fermentation and aging is complete, which I didn't realize that. It's not like they're all mixed together and then all that kind of stuff. Like, like all the, all the yeah. grapes mixed all together. And, and right. Like you time. basically, they so basically they, make they, two wines. Right. So they make the, all the different wines that go into it separately mm-hmm. and then they mix them together to make the blend. Yes. So if the grapes are blended and fermented together, it's called a field blend okay yeah i've heard that term before but i never really realized it was different yeah so a famous example of field blend is port port is done that way okay yeah so i thought that was super interesting i didn't realize that until i did my notes for this Mm -hmm. so but yeah a field blend is basically where all of the different grapes are mixed and fermented together yeah okay okay so let's get to the actual winemaking process there are five steps the first one is harvesting and destemming, which is... Just picking the grapes. Yep, picking the grapes and making sure they don't have any stems on them. The next one is crushing. Right. So once the grapes are sorted in bunches, now it's the time to destem them and crush them. Um, so like it, they destem them the most of the most of the way, and then in the crushing process, they separate it even further. The crushing process used to be done by feet in the past, right. um, but now there are mechanical presses available which trot or stomp on the grapes and turn it into must. 
Um, must is nothing but fresh grape juice, which is the outcome of the crushing process and contains seeds, solids, skins, all that kind of stuff. Um, if white wine is being made, then the seeds, solids, and skins are quickly separated from the grape juice to prevent the tannins and color from leaching into the wine. Right. So I did know that. So mm-hmm. basically that's the only difference in white grape or white wine and red wine. It's not that they use different, I mean, they do use different types of grape, but they don't use like white grapes like you would find in a grocery store or something like that. Like they actually still use red grapes. They just pull out all the skins after they crush, crush them, them. Mm-hmm. so that they don't leach out their, their color. Their color. Yep. If red wine is being made, the seeds, solids, and skins are allowed to stay in contact with the juice to allow the juice to get additional tannins, flavor, and color. Mm-hmm. Um, the next step is fermentation. So the must naturally starts fermenting within twelve to within six to twelve hours when wild yeast is added to it. But many um, winemakers add cultured yeast to the must to predict the final outcome and ensure consistency. So this is where I want to take a break too. So this is actually a very hot debate in the wine world. Wild fermented wine uses native yeasts that are only found on the fruit and in the vineyard. So it's definitely more like the ancient way mm-hmm. um, that it, like that it was made. So. This way is called spontaneous fermentation. Wild yeasts take longer to ferment. Right. And this is also what would be uh, called a natural wine because there's not any added yeast to it. It's just naturally, it just does its own thing. Well, they, so they still have to add it. They don't. Okay. Not so with natural or wild fermented wine. So yeast wine. is already present in the grapes? In, in On the grapes and like on the vines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they just rely. And that's why like there's not many of these around because it's kind of hit or miss. Because mm-hmm. if, if there's not enough yeast or there's not <clears throat> like. Yeah, I can see it would make for a very good like operation to, mm-hmm. to like mass produce because you wouldn't be able to really control. You can't control it. It takes longer. It, yeah. It. Yeah, for sure. It takes a lot longer. But apparently they taste really, really good. Yeah. I definitely want to try some. Um, so, but then you can add cultured and like industrial yeast to it and it'll control the outcome and you'll have like bigger batches and all that right. stuff. So this fermentation process continues until all the sugar is transformed into alcohol, resulting in the production of a dry wine. So if a sweet wine is to be made, winemakers halt the process um, in between to prevent sugar, all of the sugar to, like, to, from converting. Right. So if you if your wine is sweeter, that means it's hasn't like. It basically didn't finish fermenting, fermenting. all the way. And mm-hmm. how do they halt that process? I'm not sure. I don't know. I wonder if they take it out of the vats and like bottle it then, or if know. they add I was, like. I was add, thinking there was something they add to it. Probably. To like stop it. Probably. But, I just don't. I'm not familiar uh, with that. Okay. With that detail. Um. So let's see. The next process is clarification. So this is the process in which tannins, proteins, and dead yeast is removed from the wine. For this, the wine is transferred into stainless steel tanks or oak barrels, like we talked about earlier. Okay. I want to pause right here. Uh, I just found out. So it says, a winemaker who wishes to make a wine with high levels of residual sugar, like a dessert wine, may stop fermentation early either by dropping the temperature of the must to stun the yeast or by adding a high level of alcohol like brandy to the must to kill off the yeast and create a fortified wine okay so if they're they're either making a fortified wine dropping the the temperature dropping the temperature kills that makes sense that makes perfect basically just kills the yeast and stops it from doing its job okay that makes perfect sense that's really cool thanks for looking that up yeah 
So in the clarification process, uh, filtration or fining um, it's, is also used. So for clarifying substances, um, there's like there's also additional substances that are used to like filter and like fine tune the wine. And this is where this whenever you see a vegan wine, this is where that comes from. Because um, for some winemakers add clay to the wine uh, to which the unwanted particles will stick and will take them to the bottom of the storage tank or barrel. Well, they, they just put clay in there. Yeah. And then all the impurities or whatever get absorbed and By the sink clay. to the bottom. Yep. Interesting. Some winemakers also use animal products to filter the wine. Okay. So if you have a vegan wine, it means that they did not use animal products to filter it. Okay. So like so, they'll use like... Yeah, that's my question. What animal products are you talking about? I, I'm not sure. I'm a little scared to look it up. Truth be told, I don't know if I want to know. I, I just do. I just know that they use animal products, and I don't want this to be like a chitlin situation. You know? Are you you're looking it up? Okay. I don't know if I want to know, but go ahead and tell me anyways. Uh, okay, give me a second. Uh, okay, so... I've never looked it up just because I just... Animal derivatives. Casein, a protein found in milk, uh, is used in winemaking to give white wines a brilliant clarity and remove oxidant taint, oxidative taint. Uh, gelatin, a protein derived from animal hides and bones, can be used on both reds and whites. Um, and the, there's this whole list here on winemag.com that... Basically, the article is wine, vegetarian, vegan, or neither. So I guess it's going through the different types there. Okay. And there's there's actually several different things here. It's not a like it's these... not a chitlin situation. It's like Jello, right? Yeah, it's just like okay, like cool. different kind of byproduct. Kind I just of didn't deals. know if they would like. I don't know. Like it's weird. I that's not bad. With like I like Jello and stuff or whatever. I like Jello. I can do that. That's not a problem. Egg whites. Um... Oh, that's interesting. Isin glass de- de- derived from swim bladders of sturgeon. Oh no. Uh, let's see. Oh, that's gross. Chitosin. What is that? Uh, it's a carbohydrate okay. derived from the shells of crustaceans. Oh, that's not that's not as bad as I thought it was. That swim bladder thing was weird though. Yeah. Okay. Cool so stuff. that's pretty cool that like, so, so like if you're looking for a vegan wine, just look, they have plenty of them. Um, so the next and last process in wine making is aging and bottling. The wine can be instantly bottled or the winemaker can give additional aging to the wine in the barrels or vats. Um, so, you know, for aging, it can either, like I said, it can either be done in the barrels, in the tanks or in the bottles. Right. It's not recommended that you age wine at home. Not really. I mean, you can, but like it has to, the only reason why they don't like quote unquote recommend it is because many people don't truly know how to age it. Right. Like keeping it in a cart, cool, dark spot, like wine cellar spot. People just put it on their counter or in their fridge or whatever. And that's not how you age wine. Right. So yeah. Basically like throwing it in a a cave like environment is the best. Yeah. Which like. Is not where our wine is, but yeah, you know. which actually, you know, a lot of people like their wines cool or whatever. But you know, and a lot of you may have actually heard like serving red wine is best or red wine is best served at room temperature, while white wine is best served chilled. 
Um, that is not the fact. It, well, it, it, it is, kind of. But red wine, it should actually be just a little bit cool because the room temperature that they're talking about is the temperature of, Perfect. like, caves, yeah. wine cellars, things like that. So it, it is still pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it's a cool, dark environment, so it actually should be just slightly chilled. Yeah. Um, but not not chilled like you would throw it in the fridge overnight or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So are you ready to get into the different types of wine? Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about some of them. Um, Wait, while we're talking about aging and bottling and things like that, are we have are are we getting to what the year means? Is that in the? Yes, it'll be in the facts. Okay. In the different facts. All right. For sure. I'm going to talk about this one. Yeah. 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 Um, so there's red tannins provide the definition of right wine, of red wine. Sorry, tannin also gives red wine its texture. So like sometimes it's like chewy in your mouth yeah you can feel it's just got like this mm-hmm. almost like a gumminess yep in general the darker the wine the higher the tannin and the bolder the taste so examples of some red wine grapes are merlot sangiovese cabernet sauvignon pinot noir and tempranillo i'd like all of these yeah those are all really good <laughs> uh, again cabernet sauvignon usually being my favorite but sangiovese Merlot's is really pretty good, good too uh we've had that one time back okay, when i was I selling wine i don't remember that one yeah um white wines are defined by acidity that's why you might say like uh, that white wine has a crisp or it's like tart yeah so some examples of this are chardonnay savion blanc riesling gewurztraminer voignier and chenin blanc right I so do. that that's a lot of why i'm not really really a big fan of white wines usually because i don't really like those bright crisp flavors usually and it's the same thing with my coffee that's why i like dark coffee, coffee. dark roast coffee is better yeah uh, because light roast have a very bright, bright. very mm-hmm. acidic taste that i'm just not really a big fan of makes sense makes sense um so sparkling wine so sparkling wine is wine that has had significant carbonation which can occur as a natural part of the fermentation process or via carbon dioxide injection after fermentation um, when reading sparkling wine labels, you'll also encounter terms that indicate its sweetness or dryness. Um, and then sparkling wine is made from a wide range of red and white grapes. Champagne proper is made from Chardonnay. Um, this Pinot Meunier and or Pinot Noir. So champagne, all of you, this is a point of contention for me. Champagne is made in Champagne. Yeah, Champagne, France. Yes. From these very specific types of grapes. Correct. Sparkling wine is not Champagne. Correct. And sparkling wine is made everywhere else. Right. <laughs> champagne is made in Champagne, France from these specific grapes. Right. Yep. Okay. Just had to say that. I'm a, I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to that. Um, okay, so rosé, it's pink in color, as we all know. Um, it gets that way because it is allowed to either stay in contact with the red grape skins for a relatively short time... Um, compared to red wine, or it's a red and white blend. Right, so they'll they'll either just let it get a little bit of color from the skins, mm-hmm. or they'll actually take red wine and white wine and just mix them together. Yep, for sure. So, Is there a different name for those different I types? I or? don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I didn't find any in my research. So, the, a dessert wine, it gets its name because it tends to be sweeter and comes after a meal. Alcohol, usually brandy, is added to a dessert wine so that it can retain more of its natural sugars, which are typically used up during the fermentation process. Right, so that's what we talked about where they halt the process by either chilling or adding, adding alcohol in to fortify it to make port or 
various other Which, if you guys will remember from our alcohol episode, brandy is just distilled wine. Yeah, yeah, basically. So it's it's alcohol, it's distilled and everything, but it's just made from fruit juice. Yeah, it's made from grapes, for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we have fruit wines, and fruit wines are fermented alcoholic beverages made from a variety of base ingredients other than grapes. They may also have additional flavors taken from fruits, flowers, and herbs. So mm. plum liquor is popular in uh, East Asian countries of Japan, Korea, and China. Pomegranate wine is very popular fruit wine in Israel, where oh, it's I called I know it's called Ramon. Dandelion wine is a fruit wine of moderate alcohol content that's made from dandelion petals and sugar, usually combined with an acid such as lemon juice. Interesting. I want to try that. I do want to try that. That sounds interesting. Okay. There's also muscadine wine, which probably more people that listen to us have probably heard of. Oh, yeah, because we are in the South. That's true. Yeah. Yep, that's for sure. Um, The next one is mead. I do oh, love mead. mead so I didn't. So this is considered kind of like a wine because it's a similar process in making it, I suppose. Yes, because it's fermented, not brewed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's basically an alcoholic beverage created by fermenting honey with water, sometimes with fruits, spices, grains, or hops. So mead was produced in ancient times throughout Europe, Africa, and Asia, and has played an important role in the mythology of some people. In North mythology, for example, the mead of poetry was crafted from the blood of a wise king and turned the drinker into a poet or scholar. Hmm. Um, The term mead and honey wine are often used synonymously. Um, Some cultures, though, differentiate honey wine from mead. For example, Hungarians hold... That while mead is made of honey, water, and beer yeast, honey wine is uh, watered honey fermented with pumice of grapes and other fruits. So there's kind of a little divide there, but um, I wouldn't necessarily call it like a wine, but it's, I mean, okay, I would call it a wine. I'd call it a honey wine. I really would because it's fermented and not brewed. Right. That's basically my my two cents on it. Like. And you can, it sounds like so... At least with the Hungarians, there's a couple of different ways you can make it. And one of those ways is with, like, fruits and grapes, Mm -hmm. like, other fruits and whatever. They have a mead-making kit on Amazon. Yeah? Yep. And they have, like, a bunch of, um, a bunch of, like, mead-making recipes and stuff like that. I would need to try that because I really like mead. We only, we've only had it the one time when we went to England. So, I can order Stonehenge mead. Online. Yeah. The shipping is probably going to be horrible, but I can order some more Stonehenge meat if we really want it. Well, let's see if we can find any. I think there's a meadery in Nashville. What? Yeah, I think so. I was doing some research because, like, I was, like, doing this, doing this research, and I was like, oh, my gosh, mead. I haven't meat, had meat in years. And so I was looking, and I think there is one in Nashville. Okay. This is, we, we need to find this but out man, for sure. But, man, that one, from, that, that one from Stonehenge was so good. Yeah, it was, it was really so good. good. Okay, so now we can move on to the facts of wine. This is where we're going to get into, like, vintage and labels and all that kind of stuff. So, it takes one, no, it takes two pounds or 520 grapes to make one bottle of wine. 520 grapes. Mm-hmm. That's very specific. It really is. Um, wine grapes take an entire season to ripen, and thus, wine is produced just once a year. Hence the origin of the term vintage. Vint stands for winemaking, and age is for the year it was made. So occasionally you'll find a wine without a vintage listed on the label. Typically this is a blend of several vintages together, 
And in the case of Champagne, it will be labeled with NV, which stands for non-vintage. When you see a vintage year listed on the label, that's the year that the grapes were picked and made into wine. The harvest season in the Northern Hemisphere, um, which is the Europe and US and all that kind of stuff, is from August to September. And the harvest season in the Southern Hemisphere, which is Argentina and Australia, is from February to April. So this is where we get into the label. So this okay, so is... Okay, so this is a 14, mm-hmm. 2014 vintage. So that means that the grapes for this Apothic Dark were picked and in made, 2014. And made into wine. Okay, so that's what I, I was always confused on, whether that was when the grapes were picked or it was when, after it was aged and bottled. Correct. It's when they were picked and made into wine. So that okay. year. So that yeah, that does make more sense, though, I guess. So because you know you'll hear a lot of people talk about oh that's a that's a good year for wine or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's because different environmental factors. Conditions. Yeah, would, can you know change the the flavor profile of the grapes, and that's the year that they were picked. Okay. Absolutely, that is correct. Um, <clears throat> so fun fact: lower quality wines do well served cooler. Um, it mutes potential flaws in the aroma. I can see that because that's a big reason of why you want to serve reds more room temperature is because when it's warmer, it, the flavor really opens up. You can taste a lot more of that flavor profile. 100%. So if it's got some flaws in there, you're going to taste those for sure. Yeah. So cool it down, you can't taste as much in it. Yep. So like the less aroma of, uh, in your glass. So like the cooler the wine, the less that you're going to be able to smell right. in there. Um, so thicker sin- thicker skinned grapes like Monastrell are often de-stemmed to reduce uh, the, bitter, the bitter tannins and things like that. So like sometimes, like we talked about, like sometimes they'll be... They'll stay on, but like if if they're really thick skinned and they have lots of tannins in the skins and stuff like that, then they'll just go ahead and remove them like sooner. Remove all of the stems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so we were talking about this. So this is actually some some facts about this is and this is the last little bit that I have. Some facts about when, what to serve at what how, temp. How, how to, to serve, serve at what temp? Yeah. So sparkling wines need to be served ice cold between 38 and 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Uh, white and rosé wines are fridge cold between 38 and 45 as well. Um, so what's the difference? I mean, one of them is called ice cold and fridge cold, but the temperatures are the same. So I think like with the sparkling, it's closer to 38. Mm. You're supposed to serve it as cold, like as mm-hmm. cold as possible. And then with the white and rosé, you serve it like at the top end of that range. Okay. Um, and then with rich white wines like Chardonnay, you're going to serve it cool, which is between 45 and 55. Light red wines, again, cool, 55 to 60. And then bold reds, slightly cool, between 60 and 68. So, like, that's fall weather. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, cold, that's cool. Yeah, so that would take, that would, that's what we were talking about. It would be considered room temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, like, the temperature that we keep it in our house, that is room temperature. Yeah. Uh, but it should be a little bit cooler than what most people consider room temperature absolutely um and then dessert wines it depends on the style so i like pour a little bit chilled but it doesn't have to be for me right so so that's what i got on wine that was so much fun i love that was that was i i I love wine as well and so so this was definitely cool we'll we'll probably do some more wines at some point in the future um and again, today we're drinking the Apothic Dark, 
which is a fantastic red blend. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I, I do wish that it had what types of grapes were used, but I don't see that on the bottom. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so uh, that's our topic today on wine. Um, we got it. Yeah, we, so we've got something else. We, we kind of teased it a little bit on the last episode that we had an announcement coming up. I'm um, so excited. So this is our last episode that will be released um, before October mm-hmm. really gets kicked off. And I think, honestly, actually, this is going to be released on October 1st, I think. No, this is going to be released this weekend on the... Oh, is wait, it? no. I thought Friday was October 1st. Oh, yeah, Friday is October 1st. So technically, this is October 1st when you guys are listening to this, or by the time it releases. Yeah. But... Um, for the rest of October. Oh, second. It'll be released on the second because the second's a Friday. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then even, even shorter than I thought. Uh, but anyways, for the, the rest of the Fridays in October, we've got some, um, we've got a series that we're going to do. We're calling we're doing our, our spooky, spooky series. series. I'm so excited. Yeah. Spooky season series for October. Um, we're going to kick it off with a Halloween and fall episode. Um, we'll do an episode on... Let's not tease them so much. Let's okay. keep them guessing. All right. So we'll, we'll do several different episodes that are all like Halloween, spooky related. Um, so look forward to that. It's going to be really fun. This is one of our favorite holiday seasons. It's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I'm look, really looking forward to doing some of these. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys liked it. I hope you guys uh, stay tuned for our spooky season. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, again, today we're drinking Apothic Dark... And it was super fantastic. If you haven't yet, go pick up a bottle. It's great. Uh, I think it was like eight bucks at and Sam's Club. It's it's not expensive at all. Yeah, and we're gonna re- we're gonna release on the gram right uh, what we were drinking and all that kind of stuff so they can drink along with the pot, right? Yeah, it will have already been released by the time everybody's listening to this. Cool, 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 cool. So, yeah, again, uh, that was a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you continue to stay tuned. Um, Thanks. Other than that, you can find us on Instagram at date night at the coffee shop. You can email us topics. I'm calling um, them coffee pods. Coffees. Okay, you call them whatever. <laughs> um, you can email us coffee suggestions. You know whatever you want to. You can email us at date night coffee shop at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, always like, share, subscribe to whatever your whatever preferred tickle. method of of yeah. uh, podcast listening suits you. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Um, I think I got us on Pandora. Oh, we're on Pandora now? I'm pretty sure I okay, got us on Pandora. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. I think we're also on Apple Music now too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Apple Music. Um, the only thing we're not on is oh, Spotify. We're on, like we're on Google too. I said Google Play. Oh. Um, we're, the only thing I think that we're not on right now is, is, Spotify. Is, is Spotify as far as the main platforms go. Yeah. Um, and we're working on that. So for those of you that you know don't like listening on here, you think, oh... I'd rather just listen on Spotify. Sit tight. We're we're getting to it. It's just some technical difficulties, technical hurdles we have to, to get over before that. For sure. Um, but, uh, again, thank you guys so much for all the support. We're really grateful. I've had a lot of fun so far. Uh, again, this is Date Night at the Coffee Shop. You're Bart. And you're Sam. Uh, until next time, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>